Good morning, church. Obviously, I've got a strange accent, come from a strange land, but, um, but it's a land that England struggled to conquer. <laughs> just saying, just saying. Are you a church that has fun? Have you got a sense of humor? Oh, oh cool, it's all right. It's, <laughs> it's good to be in church, I mean. Only four of you thought it was good. What about the rest of you? It's good to be here, isn't it? Amen? You've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got, to know, you've got to know who you are. If you don't know that, that Christ loves you and that he's actually quite a fun God, then, you know, life just gets too serious. Amen? Hey, I loved your worship team, by the way. Hey, what a cool worship team. Um, are you, are you, is all the... All the Credit, obviously, is for you, you know. Um, um, <laughs> I, I start, we started the, 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 we came in here and the worship team is going and I thought, it's got a bit of a country feel to it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just want to, I've never wanted to do a line dance in my life and I'm thinking, I'm going to get up there. I don't even know how to do line dancing. Do, do, where do you do it? Do you do it? I don't know what you do, but I just felt like uh, line dancing. That's cool. And, and please hear me, I'm not mocking. I just felt at home. And you know, and it's, the worship here is quite different to We've got half of our worship teams actually over here. The, the, this is Selena and Pete. They're newlyweds. I actually think it's pretty cool that, that they came, they're, in, they're in our worship team and they got married. And you guys were in your worship team and you got married. And is, is there anyone else in your worship team? Yeah. <laughs> I'm available to take weddings on the <laughs> This could be something in the air here. Can we, shall we pray? Shall we get serious? Just for, just for a moment or two. Lord, we want to thank you that you're a good God. We want to thank you that you are here amongst us. Lord, we thank you that we don't actually need to go anywhere to be in your presence. You're right here. And so we choose right now to give you praise and glory. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but they're your words. I pray that you anoint them and they land exactly where you want them to land. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Here's a bit, I'm going to start with this. This isn't even in my message, but I felt that this was actually for you guys this morning because it fitted with what was going on with the worship this morning. This is from Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 12. It says, God's purpose. Everybody say, God's purpose. Isn't it cool to know what God's purpose is? Well, if you want to know God's purpose, here it is right here. It says in verse 12, God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. Everybody say, praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, that's us, now you Gentiles have also heard the truth and the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify God. 
You notice how that piece of scripture started with the per- God's purpose is that we will praise and glorify God. And it tells us that we were grafted in to be just like the Jews. We're grafted in to be God's holy people so that we will give him praise and glorify God. I just, I just felt that piece of scripture was for you this morning. As I listened to your worship, I thought there's a theme in your worship this morning, and it's praise and glorify God. Do you know what? You might just be onto something with this God thing. How cool is that? It's pretty cool. He's a pretty awesome God, you know. He's such an awesome God that he actually wants to heal people. And when I came in here this morning, I felt that in this area here this morning, there's actually somebody who's been suffering from chronic pain for quite some time. Is there anybody here with chronic pain? You might be too shy to tell me. There is? You've got chronic pain? (laughs) Your wife says you have. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you a good hint. You know, a secret to a good marriage is giving your wife a good listening to it really is. I, I give my wife a good listening to on a regular basis. Sometimes I actually stop to listen to what I'm listening to. And uh, uh, I tell you what, it wor- works wonders. I, I think it's a great secret to a good marriage. So, so can we pray for this guy? I have no idea who you are, what's wrong with you. I don't need to know. Uh, God knows. But I believe this morning that God was saying that he wants you healed and set free in Jesus' name. Is that cool? So should we just, if, you've got, if, you're, if you're a people of faith, just reach out a hand and just let, let's pray. In the name of Jesus, we just pray for this individual over here. And we declare, because you're a good God, we declare that he is healed in the name of Jesus. Whatever the reason for this infirmity to enter his body, we just rebuke it. And we just say, get out right now, clear off, you're no longer welcome. Because this is God's child. And so, Lord, we ask for divine favor to be released right now and healing take part in his body and set him free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And there's somebody in this area, that anxiety has, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up because it will make you anxious. But (laughs) anxiety has been a, a big issue in your life, and the answer is Jesus. Now, that might sound like quite a, oh, well, you can always say that, but but I really felt, you, you'll know who you are. The answer is Jesus because he is full of peace. Amen? And so whenever you feel this anxiety rise, you go, you know, you know, the answer is Jesus. I'll choose his life, his peace in my life. Amen? So I don't know who you are. don't need to identify yourself, but, but that's for you this morning. Amen. All right. Shall we get into the message? Are you ready? All right, before we start, I've got a question for you. Are you happy? Now, this is how we normally ask this question. How you doing? Are you happy? How's life? We never actually stop to ask, answer the question. We never actually give people the, the and this is how people reply. You go, are you happy? Yeah, all good. She's good. Have you ever met anybody that's got it all together? And yet, how are you doing? You all good? Sweet eyes, bro. (laughs) That's how we answer. But the reality is, it's usually a big fat lie. The reality is, it's too hard a question to stay in the moment. We don't like that. It makes us uncomfortable. And so we don't want to actually stay there. So, So when we ask the question, how are you doing? We're not really asking the question because we don't want to listen to the answer. 
And the reality is people don't really give you the real answer because they don't really want to answer because it's easier to pretend. Come on. It's easy to go through life going, life's cool, bro. I love it. It's awesome. How's life? It's awesome. Never better. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> so, are you happy? It's a good question to ask. But the problem is asking a question like that is like asking, it's like opening a can of worms. It's like saying, right, here we go. I've got to, I, if I'm going to ask this question, I've got to be prepared to sit down and listen and be there. So the reality is when we ask a question like that, we don't really want the answer. Are you happy? Are you happy at home? Are you happy at school, at university, at work? Are you happy at your sports club? No. Because that Johnny, what's his name, got player of the day four times in a row. Pick me. (laughs) Are you happy? You see, the problem is in life, we actually search for happiness in all the wrong places. It's a big deal. Are you happy? It's a good question. I was doing some research on this and I, I discovered that the BBC, I'm from Scotland, Greg's from a strange place called Liverpool. Uh, you know, talking to Liverpool, I was actually saying to Greg yesterday, I says, I says um, you know, the Scotsman and me, I could do this, I've, I've got this really old car, I've got a 1954 Volkswagen Beetle, and I, and, um, uh, I was thinking, oh, I could get some new wheels for my car, but I'm a bit of a Scotsman, so I didn't really want to pay for them, but, but Greg's from Liverpool, he could pinch them. <laughs> How cool is that? You see, the body of Christ needs to work together. You know, uh, you need to work together. Uh, I just, I just checking you got a sense of humor. That was a joke. You know, just, just uh, me and Greg might be out of a job tonight. I don't know. But anyway, if we are, we're going to the wheel business, you know, <laughs> the buying and, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the BBC, you know, from our homeland, the BBC, they did this, this poll. They did a survey and they wanted to know about um, uh, the government. And they said to people, what do you think the primary objective of the government should be? Do you think it should be to create greater happiness or greater wealth? Interesting question to ask about a government, eh? 81% of the people said greater happiness. They weren't actually in, in search of greater wealth. And yet, governments around the entire world are actually searching for more money. How can we make the people richer? You know, when you, you do political su- surveys and things like that, you know, people want to know all the political campaigns about uh, how will they make your life better and, and, and more fulfilled? How will you have more money in your bank account? Less taxes, more money to you? And this is how p- political campaigns go. But the reality is people, 81% of people are more interested in being happier than wealthier. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? In the United States, they've, they've got a, a, these constitutions and, and they've got this thing called this de- Declaration of Independence. And in the Declaration of Independence, it declares that happiness is actually one of their goals. And yet you listen to their political stuff that's going on just now. Do you think Donald Trump is proclaiming happiness as one of her goals? Do you think Hillary Clinton's going, no, no, we just need to be happier. You know, we, we sit on our TVs at night and we go, he, did, he said, what, really? 
So all around the world, we have this, this search, this desire within hearts of people. It doesn't matter what religion they are. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what, what nationality they are. There's desires in people's hearts to be happier. And the reality is being wealthier is not actually a true goal. It's more about happiness and contentment and peace and actually the things that come from Christ. So a, worth le- life, a life worth living is more about happiness, being happy, wouldn't you agree? Often we can put our hope in happiness. We can put our hope in that uh, an event will happen. Pastor Greg is a great example of this. He put his hope that Liverpool would win. <laughs> Did it make you happy, Greg? You're still grieving. You see, there's proof in the pudding that, you know, if you put your hope in an event, it won't bring you happiness. If you're a prayerful person, you need to pray for Greg because I've given him a hard time all weekend about this. And he's showed amazing grace so far. (laughs) I'm not sure how far it will stretch. (laughs) Payback. He actually did threaten to send me home yesterday at one point, so... (laughs) Grace only goes so far, eh? Yeah. We, we actually do that, though. We, we put hope in an event, and that event will bring us happiness. It's an interesting thing to do that. But the problem is events come and they go, and they come and they go, and they come and they go, and the reality is it has very little to do with whether we're happy or not, whether we're content or not. Some people put their hope and their, their, their happiness in relationships, Now, the ironical thing is, there is only one relationship that this will guarantee you happiness, but we tend to put it in relationships with other people. It's amazing how many people have been together for a long period of time, and they've kind of gone along life, and things are not going very great, and and, you know, they say, but if we just get married, it will be great. You know, the success rates on those marriages are actually not that brilliant. Because their happiness is determined on an event and a relationship. They're doubling it up. Now, there is one relationship where happiness does come from. Contentment does come from. And that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. In the UK, there's a disturbing fact I was reading about the other day there. That Prozac... The antidepressant drug has been used so prolifically that they can now detect it in rivers. And it's gone a step further than that. They can now detect it in some drinking waters in some areas. So in other words, it's gone through the complete life cycle of water and is coming back in your tap, in your glass of water, is detection, is, is, is substances of Prozac. That many people are on antidepressants. That's quite depressing in itself. You almost need Prozac because of that thought. (laughs) But there is another answer. Amen. Another interesting fact is that uh, since the 1950s, we've got more money than we've ever had. In fact, we were on average three times wealthier than we were the same people, the same age, same part of life were in the 1950s. Three times wealthier. 
So I would suggest that, that health and wealth are not the source of happiness. And yet that's exactly what the world tells us. That's exactly what, what the media tells us. exactly what politicians are telling us. It's exactly what corporations are telling us. They're telling us that these things will bring you happiness. They'll bring you contentment. They'll bring you peace. The things that we actually desire in our heart to have. But the reality is that we can't have them because they're just momentary. They're here and they're gone. They're here and they're gone. And the problem with that is it doesn't sustain us. You see, something that's here and gone can't carry you through hard times. The problem with something that's here and gone is it is just literally here and then it actually leaves you with disappointment because it was momentary. Are you with me? So the source of happiness is not wealth. It is not health. It's actually in a relationship with one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. A couple of old-fashioned words, blessing and blessed. They're actually quite old-fashioned words, and, and they're not normal words outside of church circles that you'll hear very regularly. In fact, if you're speaking to non-Christians to use the word blessed, usually gets a kind of response because people are not used to hearing that word. But the reality is, if I was to say to a non-Christian, somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, um, my life is blessed. The connotations that go in their head is of happiness, of joy, of good times, good memories. It, it brings these things to their minds that, that actually, if I am blessed, then, then I've got all of these other things as well. We may not fully understand these words, but most people know they're gleaming, they're positive, they're good words. And if you stop to think about them for a second, about the blessings in your life, it brings good memories of family, it brings memories of laughter, it brings joy, it brings peace. So who's the best person to bring blessings? Jesus Christ. He's the authority in blessings. So if we're in the pursuit of happiness in other words, if we want blessings, if we want to live a blessed life, then really what we want is Jesus Christ in our life. Amen. If we want to know about these things, then we actually need to turn to him and see what he said about these things. So if you've got a Bible with you, can you turn to Matthew chapter 5? Because that's really where I want to park this morning. Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I'm going to start at verse 3. It says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are hungry and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when, you, when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of things 
against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for the great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Amen. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The reality is the third beatitude about being humble is actually instinctively related to the first one as well. But I'm going to park on the first one. A couple of interesting things here. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is actually the only recorded sermon that Jesus gave. Can you get your head around that? One sermon? Only one sermon recorded in the Bible from Jesus? The best preacher on the planet? He only needed one recorded. Out of that one sermon, we get things like um, salt of the earth. We get things like love your enemies, light of the world. We get these kind of things from this one sermon. It's this one sermon that gives us the, the nuts and bolts of how to live. This one sermon is amazing, and this is how it starts with the Beatitudes. And the interesting thing about the Beatitudes is you work through them. You can't choose, oh, I quite like the one about being, um, oh, uh, yeah, I'll just, actually, no, I'll, I'll skip that one about the mourn. Uh, bless the, the, I don't like you got a pen, I just want to take that. Give us your pen. I'll just take that one out of the Bible. I don't like that one. You can't do that with the Beatitudes. They actually run in sequence. And they're actually written in a way that is a, a Hebrew way of writing. I know we, we've got them originally recorded in the Greek, but it's actually a Hebrew poetic way of writing, the way that they're written down in there. And you cannot have one you cannot have seven of them. Because the other ones are not like, you're not, you know what I mean, Greg. They're not that, they're a bit tough, eh? Like, you know, you can't do that with the Beatitudes. The way they're written, they must be taken in order. And you apply each one of them in your life. And they actually lead to blessings. Pretty cool, eh? And one and three are intrinsically, intrinsically linked. You cannot separate them. They are together. So blessed be the poor in spirit, and the humble is the same thing. Awesome, eh? God's word is incredible. You can't take it. You can't change it. You can't, I can't scrub bits out of it. I can't, I can't live my life by bits I like in it, and then forget the bits are just too hard. Uh, you read the Beatitudes, and they're actually pretty radical, but the reality is so was Jesus. He's actually pretty radical dude, really. You know, he, he, actually, he actually might think to yourself, but this is outstanding, but, but he's given them to you because he thinks you're outstanding too. He thinks you're awesome. And he thinks that you're up to this. He, th- he doesn't go, oh, <laughs> Father, I've written this stuff down. It's way too hard for them. I don't think they'll ever get it, but it'll be fun watching them try. That's not the attitude of Jesus. He, he believes in you and he sees, actually, this is a... This is a standard, and I know you can get to it, and I know that when you get to it, you're going to be blessed. This is going to be amazing. And so we're going to look at the first one. The first one is awesome. And I think the first one is probably the most important one because it's a foundation of where we're at. It's no accident that they're radical. Jesus is radical. It's no accident they're outstanding. You're outstanding. Don't buy into what the world says. Jesus doesn't want clones. He wants you just the way you are. 
Don't buy into what the world is telling you. Buy into what Jesus is telling you. Amen. He wants you to recognize that when the Holy Spirit is in you, you walk differently because he shines out of you. I said to um, one of Greg and Danny's kids last night, I actually took this picture on my phone. She was sitting there and she had an iPad on on the table in front of her and the, the backlight from the iPad was shining onto her face and she was shining. And it was a fantastic illustration. You know, so I took a picture and I showed her. I said, look, you're shiny. I like shiny things. She's shining. And I said to her, I said, that's what it's like all the time with you because when Jesus is in you, he shines out of you. Amen. You see, you are outstanding. He guides you. He molds you. He shapes you. He wants you to stand out in the crowd. He's good. Amen. But his teaching is radical. Sometimes it's pretty tricky. But Matthew 5, 3 to 12, I think are foundational things for life. And I think some other translations miss the mark a little bit just because we don't understand the original languages very well. But I've deliberately read to you from the New Living Translation because I think it gets it pretty much on the mark. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The Beatitudes comes from a Latin word, butus, which means blessed. That's all it means. These are the blessings. These are actually, these are not a curse. These are blessings. You will be blessed. Eight little sayings. Each little saying in itself is building on the one before. But I want to talk to you about the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world tells you the power, money, and relationships is the way to happiness. But we've already discussed that. It doesn't work. But Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever walked this earth, who teaches you the keys to life, says that we need to celebrate and congratulate those who are poor in spirit. So what does that mean to be poor in spirit? You see, the world's way of interpreting this is to say, oh, you're a loser. You know, because it's those who are rich in spirit that will do really well. But the reality is, Jesus is saying the complete opposite to that. The way the world tells us to think is actually wrong. We need to listen to Jesus. He says they're poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, I'm going to let you into a little secret Every single one of us in this room is poor in spirit. Because none of us is Jesus. Come on, did you catch that? So what is it that you're talking about? It's actually talking about, do you recognize who you are and where you're at? I said, um, just after a staff meeting on Thursday, I said to a couple of people who were just leaving, I said, I've got a question for you. So what's that, Pastor? I says, here's the question. Where would you be today if you never had Jesus in your life? And every one of them went, oh. You see, the penny dropped. It is so easy for us to forget where we've come from, to forget that actually in life we are poor in spirit. And without Jesus in our lives, we're actually nothing. We need to realize that. You see, 
the world tells you that you can do it. You can, we have motivational coaches. We have people telling you it's about positive thinking. These things are good. Nothing wrong with these things. But the reality is most of these things are built on us doing it for ourselves. And what this is saying, it's saying actually when you realize that you cannot do it by yourself, you will be blessed. Yeah? Penny drop. When we realize, actually, I can't do this in my own strength. I've tried it in my own strength. It got oh, nearly there, but never quite, never actually quite gets there. Uh, we, can, we can get alongside people. And we can motivate them, but really, uh, uh, actually, I should just introduce you to Jesus because he's pretty good at this. Um, we, can get, we can try things, you know. Um, I have, I've got 10 good points for the next prayer meeting. Um, let's give them a go. But, uh, and, and the eleventh one, I'll just pencil in here. Just in case it doesn't work, we'll ask Jesus. Turn it upside down. Just ask Jesus to start with. Recognize I am poor in spirit. My way doesn't work, but his does. You see, that's, that's the foundation to the Beatitudes. When we realize that in our heart and we realize, actually, I can't do this without him in my life. And you stop trying to do it your way. You stop actually trying to go that extra mile in your own strength. And you actually go two extra miles in his strength. And you go, whoa, that's pretty cool. I actually think we might be onto something with this God thing, you know. He's pretty cool. His ways work. And it's, you know, the world would say, no, 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 you don't listen to someone who puts you down. It's, this is not about putting you down. It's actually about realizing you already are down. Come on. You, uh, lay, can, can I get real for a second? You're not God. Is that all right for everybody? You know, can, can we just say that together? I'm not God. Well, stop playing God and recognize that he is God and that his ways work. And all we need to do is recognize, actually, Lord, my spirit's not strong enough without you. I am poor. I have a spiritual debt. I need, I need to come to you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. You are the only way. You're the only truth, and you are the ultimate in life. You are awesome. And when I recognize I can't do it in my own strength, something happens. I get blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, when we recognize the spiritual bankruptcy, that we recognize, and you know, that's not to say that you failed in life. That's the thing that the world will tell you when you go, oh, I've got the spiritual bankruptcy. The, poor, the world goes, well, that church is not working for you. You should try another one. No. Just try and connect to God and tell him where you're really at. You know, there's an amazing thing about God. He's such a gentleman that he already knows where you're at before you recognize where you're at. But when you come to him with an honest, open heart, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. We just have to let him in. We've got to let him in. And you go on this relationship journey with him, and suddenly you realize, whoa, religion doesn't work. Come on. We realize that actually if I come here and I sing four songs on a Sunday and uh, I clap my hands and I stand up at the right time and I say, you know, I shake hands with somebody and say, oh, God's good, and I walk out of here, that doesn't work. 
I come in here and I actually praise God. I actually connect with him. I actually go on a journey with him. I actually, I'm brave enough to go, Lord, here I am. Have your way with me. Come on. Come on, God. Actually, the mean it, God. Come on. Come inside. Talk to me. Take me on a journey. And we get intimate with him. Something amazing happens. Something absolutely amazing happens. Is this all right? You know, we need to recognize who we are. We need to recognize that, you know, I preached a message just recently. I had you copped a load of flack about it, and it was about recognizing that we are righteous. And I had some very religious people come and say to me, you should humble yourself. I said, you should read your Bible. (laughs) Because the reality is the Bible tells us that we are righteous. Amen? And it tells us we're righteous because we humbled ourselves and we recognize who he is. And then we recognize that in turn, we're righteous. So if you say to me, you're not righteous, or I say, even worse, I say, I'm not righteous. What I'm saying is Jesus didn't die on the cross for me and make me righteous. Not by my works, but by his works. We need to recognize who he is and let him in. We need to get intimate with him. We need to get get on board with him. We need to say, actually, I am poor in spirit. I can't do this on my own. I need more of you, Jesus. We need to go on a journey with him. Amen. Are you with me? It's a secret to happiness. It's a secret to blessings. It's recognizing we can't manufacture these things, but we know who can. Let him in. It's a pathway to blessings and happiness. It begins with a stark recognition that we're heavily in debt. And he's already paid the price. Amen. It's like this. If I, let's just say, I owed Greg a million dollars. So, I, I've racked up this big debt. It's a million-dollar debt. And um, I'm supposed to make these repayments on this debt. And you can imagine if it's a million-dollar... Anybody here an accountant or anything like that? And you put your hand up, too. Oh, that's all kind of amazing. <laughs> <clears throat> joke. It was a joke. Joke. Just quickly off the top of your head, if I had a million-dollar debt, what kind of repayments would the bank want? A lot. Are we talking like 20 bucks a week? 15,000 a year. Really? As much as that? No. No. 20 bucks, I was thinking. So, Greg, <laughs> you need a different accountant, mate. He wants to. Right. So, this million-dollar debt. I'll tell you what. Um, you know, when, when, you, when you're indebted to someone, sometimes you can do this thing called full and final payments, and people will settle. So, I've got this $20 note here, Greg, and that million dollars that I owe you, I was thinking 20 bucks. Cool. Awesome. Right. So, do you think that in reality, Mr. Accountant over there, do you think many banks would be quite, quite happy with 20 bucks when you actually owed them a million? No. 
In fact, the bank would say, don't insult me, wouldn't they? They, they would be going, hey, you're about to find out the full wrath of our, our banking system and our lawyers behind it, and you're about to find you've actually now got nothing because we're going to take everything from you because you've just insulted us. You didn't even try. You just pretended to pay back what you actually owed. Do you know that's kind of what it's like when we pretend to be a Christian to God? Did you catch that? When we owe him everything and he's already paid everything for us and then we pretend, it's like, come on. Actually, all he's wanting us to recognize is actually we are poor in spirit on our own. But we can have everything when we invite him in. Are you with me? You see, the reality is he doesn't want us to play at being Christians. He wants the whole deal. He actually, and he, you know, know, here's a strange thing. This might come as a bit of a surprise to you. When he says he actually wants the whole thing, he actually means the whole thing. He doesn't mean we'll just pretend thing that looks like the whole thing on a Sunday morning, but on a Monday it doesn't look like you're a Christian at all. He actually wants you to be radically different. He actually wants you to, he sees you as outstanding because he wants you to be standing out in a crowd. He wants you to be, you know, the interesting thing is that, that God can use anybody in any situation, but, but there's a primary thing that kind of need to go, here I am. Here I am. Pick me. And when we recognize this, amazing things start to happen. I love this, this beatitude. I've paraphrased this, this beatitude a little bit. Usually when you paraphrase something, you actually make it shorter and to the point, yeah? It's interesting. To paraphrase this beatitude, you actually need to make it bigger. This is how I've paraphrased it. People who are spiritually, socially, and materially self-sufficient will be unhappy. For those are the very people who are not acknowledging their own inadequacy and need for God. Because that's really what it's saying. The reality is we can't actually get that any shorter than God's already given it. Just recognize where you're at and say, actually, I need you. I need you. Ironically, there's a group of people who find this idea really hard. They find the, the idea of admitting they're spiritually in poverty, particularly difficult to grasp. And they're the religious group. They're the ones that that are very good at raising hands at the appropriate time. You know, the third line and the second song, you know, know, just as the the worship team is worshiping, and they're up there particularly good at this. No, they don't admit, admit they're spiritually poor. The the people who are going through the motions of looking good on the outside but are dying on the inside are very poor at admitting they're poor at spirit because it's all about what do I look like. Can I just say this morning God doesn't care what you look like? He already knows what you look like and he's accepting you to be just the way you are. Amen. The other group that accepts this really, really well are actually the ones who are moral failures in life. 
who have come to an end of their own resources, who have tried and miserably failed in their own ways because they recognize faster than any of us that actually my ways don't work, that I can't do this without God. And they are so open to this. And, and we often see this in church life. You get, you get somebody come in off the street. They've never been in church life before. The, their life is a mess. They come in here. They get touched by the gospel of God. And boom, they're all of a sudden, they're on fire for God. They're almost a pain in the neck. They're on fire. They're such a pain in the neck because what they're actually doing is actually showing us the way that God's what you want us to live our lives. And we find it uncomfortable because it's making us uncomfortable because we're actually recognizing that actually they've got it all together and they've been a Christian for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and I've been a Christian for years and whoa, why are they on such... Actually, no, it's just they recognize that actually my ways didn't work and wow, God is good, amen. Come on, we need to recognize that we need, we need God more than ever. And I don't care if you've been in church for 50 years, you need God in your life. You need to recognize that, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. You really need to recognize that. That's not just something that just rolls off your tongue. You need to say, actually, I can't do this without Him. And I can't just do this with Him on a Sunday morning for an hour or two. I need Him every day, every minute of the day. He needs to be my everything I need to be someone who prays all the time. I need to be someone who's worshiping all the time. You know, worship is not something we do for a few moments on stage on a Sunday morning. Worship is a way of life. We need to recognize we're poor in spirit. The first step to admitting this is admitting we need Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning, if there's anybody here today, if the band can maybe come back and join me, that'd be really cool. Because I believe there's some people here today and you're actually here and you're searching for this authentic Jesus. And the Lord just said to me, there's a couple of people here who have actually been on this journey for years. But he's saying, today's your day. Today's your day. There might be some people here who have never even heard the gospel message preached or talked about. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. That's what the gospel is. There might be some people here today and you, you've been journeying with God, but you're just not connected to God. And you think, wow, I want what he's got. Well, you can have it. It's a free gift. You just need to recognize and ask him in. There might be some people here today who've never done that before. Maybe you've done it a hundred times. You know, the reality is I don't care. I really don't care. What I care about is that people get right with God. I don't care how it's been done in the past. I don't really care. But I do care that you connect to him. Amen? And so I want to make this as easy as possible for everybody here. So can I ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes. Because I truly believe that there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There really isn't. But sometimes we, we feel I can't respond because I'm sitting next to the person that thinks I've got it all together. When really inside my life is falling apart. Can I just say that person actually needs you to respond? as much as you do 
There is no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation here today. Jesus just wants you to connect to him. So if you're here today and this message has touched your heart, just pop your hand in the air and we'll pray together. I see that hand. That hand. That's two, three, four, five. That's awesome. When I see those hands. Those ones can go down. If there's anybody else, I see another hand at the back. That's awesome. Right, you can put those hands down. Another hand at the back. That's awesome. That's seven. That's eight. Nine. That's awesome. God is good, isn't he? God is touching lives all over this auditorium right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I believe the Lord just said to me, there's somebody here and God just said to you, stop playing and start being. If that word is for you, you need to respond as well. Stop playing and start being. That's not a condemning word. That's a freeing word in Jesus' name. So one last time, is there anybody else would like to respond this morning? I'd love to pray with you. So I never actually looked. Was there anybody at the top? I see that hand. That's awesome. It's fantastic. I see another hand there. That's amazing. God is good, isn't he? Shall we pray? Can we all pray this together? Dear Lord Jesus, my word, you're awesome. You are just so cool. And we recognize here right now. Come on, let's pray this together. We recognize here right now that we are poor in spirit when we don't have you. So we ask that you have everything of us. Pour your spirit in and set us free in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. He's pretty good, eh? How about we give Jesus a big hand? That's an awesome response for those people. Best response you can ever make. If you responded this morning, and I've lost count how many people there was, can I? I encourage you to do something really brave. You know, one of the best things that you can do when you get right with Jesus is actually tell somebody. But it can be one of the scariest things to do as well because especially if you've been going through the motions and people next to you maybe think that you've got it all together when really you haven't. It's a gutsy thing to do. But can I tell you, it will set you free. Come on. You need to get a grip of it. It will set you free this morning. Uh, so it might not be the person next to you, but make sure it's somebody before you leave here today that you told them, actually, I responded today and I am free in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because when it comes out of our mouth, we're also prophesying it in Jesus' name. Come on. We need to get a real grip on this, that, that actually there's more. The, the, the best days are yet to come, that, that when we speak life of our, our own mouths, you know, God has got room to move in our life. And so I really encourage you, it's a bold move, but I encourage you, make sure you tell somebody what you've done. And just one last thing before I finish. Tonight I'm going to be talking about how to reach people. Is that all right? It might be a little interactive, it might be a little weird, I don't know, it's just the way I am. But that's all good. But, uh, you know, I have been blessed with an ability to reach people for Jesus. And I've realized I'm not going to call it evangelism. Alright? Because I recognize 
If you want to tweet, text, or Facebook people to come tonight, that's all good. You tell them, Pastor David's talking on hashtag reach. All right? Hashtag reach. Because I recognize that E-word puts people off. They think that's for those weird ones who stand on street corners. You shouldn't think of me like that. I don't do that. But the reality is that the Bible tells us that we've all to go into the world and preach the good news. I mean, so I've got three simple things for you tonight. They're really easy and everybody can do them. They're really, really simple. And uh, I've got three keys for you tonight on how you, especially if you find this hard, can make this easy. And so if you find this hard, then you need to be here tonight. Amen. And uh, is it going to be in the cafe? Is it, is it that right? It's going to be in the cafe. That's awesome. And uh, I'm not afraid of questions. So if you've got questions, you've got friends you need to bring along. You've got somebody that doesn't know Jesus, bring them along. We'll, we'll do our best to introduce them to, to our loving God as well. Amen. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Pretty cool?